，我是黄小鸭，来自中国。你现在在听 Tracks from Abroad。Tracks from Abroad。Tracks from Abroad。Tracks from Abroad。Tracks from Abroad。在 CIUT 89.5 FM。Welcome to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Jesse McDougal. I am so excited to be working on this show today, bringing you an episode about China. We have an interview with U of T student Vicky Wong, who put together all of this wonderful music, some experimental stuff in the mix. We're going to have an interview talking about earthquakes, collectivism, superstition, and a whole lot more. But let me let the rest of this track play out, and I'll be back to introduce the interview in one second. We'll see you soon. Toronto, you are listening to Tracks from Abroad, and my name is Jesse McDougal. I'm the creator and host of this show, where we bring international students from UFT, the University of Toronto, onto the radio show as guests, and we play music from their corner of the world. It's a lot of fun, and this is episode 26 on China. It's the first time we've ever gone to China, although there have been some ventures that we've done out to Asia, but. Anyhow, first time in China.、Um, today we have an interview with UFT student Vicky Wong, and she has some wonderful music to bring to the show. But I have some random nonsense to talk about in the meantime. 
First of all, yesterday I was going out to get a mic stand and uh, I bought it from a guy on Facebook Marketplace and he shows up and I say, yeah, you know, I do a radio show on CIUT. And he says, oh man, I think I heard your radio show. I just didn't realize it was you. So it's very nice to hear that people are out there listening to this show. I wasn't actually sure, you know, I'm just sitting at my desk. I don't know if anyone's actually listening. Turns out they are. So I better watch what I say. But last night I also went out to see DJ Slam who's the host of Six Degrees on CIUT. He plays Mondays from 10 p.m. until midnight. So it's a lot of fun to get out and see these CIUT DJs in their in their home uh, home space, in their environment. They're making some cool beats. Also, shout out to uh, Fresh Kills, crazy finger-drumming producer. This guy has got some amazing skills. He was also there last night. CIUT is also having a funding drive. We're raising $100,000 to support the sounds of your city. Volunteers like me make these shows have a heck of a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy them too. So if you want to donate, visit www.ciut.fm. And if you donate $89.50, you will become a member and you will be entered in the grand prize drawing. Those are three electric bicycles, real handy to get around the city. Personally, I prefer a normal ass bicycle, but electric bicycles, fantastic nonetheless. So hit up www.ciut.fm. And we thank you for your support. Now, let's get into my interview with Vicky Wong. We're going to talk about the country of China. It's a big one, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. I'll see you later on. Peace. Today, we welcome to Tracks from Abroad, Vicky Wong, talking about China. Vicky, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have you here too. So, Vicky, you're a UFT student, but you have a connection to China. Can you tell us about what that is?、Um, I was born in Shanghai, and my parents are both from China. And I immigrated when I was around a year old. But I do go back to China very often. Before COVID, I would go back every two years. Is it easy to to fly all the way over to China? Is it a long flight? It is a very long flight, and it is not easy. I've had some terrible flight experiences. Like I've had one flight experience that was so bad that I've sworn off airplane food for the rest of my life. Oh no! <laughs> This sounds like a start to to a Seinfeld joke. What happened? Well, the food was horrible. Like it was it was from Canada to China, and they were serving like Westernized Chinese food.、Mm. And I took one bite, and it was just horrific. And at the time, the turbulence was also horrible.、Mm. And so the moment it just hit my system, I felt like puking, and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> What a way to start the show! Welcome to your Saturday, ladies and gentlemen. Talking about horrible Chinese food, but no.、Um, in Toronto, have you found any good Chinese food? Oh yeah, there's、um, this place called Dumpling House in Chinatown, and it is fantastic. Probably like one of the best dumplings I've eaten in Canada. Dang. Okay, Dumpling House. Shout out to Dumpling House. Well, Vicky, as always on the show, we have the student bring a playlist from their country, and today you made a really nice playlist.、Um, a playlist which the the title I believe is there is no、uh, there's no good music or there's no music from China or something like that. Why did you name the playlist that? Yeah. So I picked there is no music from China, and so the first initial reason was because I was going through like. Trying to find like more experimental music, and I stumbled upon this playlist called, or this mix, called "There Is No Music from China," and it's basically just a bunch of like experimental sounds and whatnot. But I was reading into the reason why he curated it like that. If if you're familiar with like Chinese history, there was like a flourishing arts and culture 
before like the war and before like the the communist revolution and for music specifically there was this thing called um where chinese people created like their own branch of jazz music i'd say but it was kind of outlawed when the communist government came into power uh and it was kind of like labeled as um you know western and they didn't like that so they purged it and it wasn't until the 70s where Deng Xiaoping went through a political reform and opened that opened China's borders and all these like global cultures and influence and music was able to stream into mainland China and so like current contemporary China and the mix that I have is like different kinds of genres and different kinds of like sounds that are infused together that didn't really exist back then um, under the communist regime. Well, everybody, I'm sure you can tell that Vicky has an extensive knowledge of music, and this is going to be a really fun show for that reason. So, Vicky, let's get into your playlist. We're going to play some songs right off of, uh, right from your music, and we'll be back right here talking to Vicky about China on Tracks from Abroad. <laughs>
Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad. My name is Jesse McDougall. We are talking with Vicky Huang today about China. And Vicky, there is a film that came out very recently. It's by Disney Pixar called Turning Red. And it's set right here in Toronto and it features a Chinese family. Do you know about this movie? Yes, I have. And I've actually, like, I have a um, family friend who's a journalist in China and she writes about film and culture. And we also had an interview and a long discussion about like my experiences and how it like translates in Turning Red and if I do relate to it. What was her take on the movie? Well, she obviously has a different experience for me because she did not grow up in China, uh, in Canada. She grew up in China, so it's a lot different. Overall, she thought it was like a good film. But for me, I still have a little bit issues with it. It lies in the fact that people say that Turning Red is a subversive film, but I think it does play into um, pre-existing stereotypes and narratives. For instance, the idea of having a, a, a girl who's like very into pleasing her parents and she's like so focused on her grades and having like this tiger mom that doesn't give her the freedom of expressivity. I feel like that trope has been played out, trampled on, like it's done. I wish that like current films that display like the diasporic identity would be more diverse and more like have greater variety in how they portray like protagonists. Why? And this is what I say to everyone when I'm explaining this point. Why can't there be a Chinese ladybird, right? Why can't there be a protagonist who's who differs from that fixed trope that people have about the Asian diasporic identity. Well, it's set in Toronto. Do you think it has a good represent or an accurate representation of Toronto's Chinese community? In that sense, yeah, I, I do, I do. Um, the the geography and the architecture was captured very well. And as for religion, this is an interesting point because the film takes a very unique spin on it. In Chinese, like Buddhist cultures, will like worship different kinds of gods, and there'll be different temples for that. In this film. It's a panda and it's an ancestor. So it's not a god in the Buddhist culture, but rather it's it's like someone in their own family that they worship. So what they portrayed accurately was that like the shrines, the way that they were constructed, look a lot like, you know, the typical Buddhist shrines. And they light these um these little incense candles and they bow to to, you know, show their respect. Yeah, I've done that before too. And it's mm-hmm. it's very accurate. What do you think about Chinatown? I was there recently, uh, actually getting Vietnamese food, so that that's not a great match. But um, does it represent what China feels like when you go there, when you fly there, and uh, what do you like to do when you're in Chinatown? A few years ago, I might have said that it does feel like China when you fly there, but now China has modernized so quickly; it has become very like brutalist architecture, very clean, very upright which I think takes away from like the earthliness that China had in the earlier years. But like perhaps like back in 2008, it might've been a little bit similar. There's a lot more life. That's what I'd say. There are a lot of street vendors. Um, there are people who are like trying, trying to like sell you things. Um, and everywhere you go, there's just a lot of commotion, a lot of music, a lot of sounds, smells. And in Chinatown, I don't think it's to a similar extent, but mm-hmm. it, the, the, there's, there's resemblance. Okay. Well, speaking of that Chinese music, let's get back to your playlist. And maybe you can tell us a song that we can start off playing this set. Um, okay, let's play the Teresa Tang song then. I think every every Chinese person knows this song. It's a beautiful, uh, romantic, and very poetic 
love ballad. Very good. This is Jesse McDougal talking to Vicky Wong on Tracks from Abroad.
过去的种子，在截肢大陆上无限演化。我们寻找和捕捉梦，拼凑新的亚当。Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad. Today we are talking about China with Vicky Huang. Vicky, I want to ask you about the playlist that you brought to the show. We've just listened to a set of your music, and these playlists that I see—they're very, very long. So、um, you clearly know a lot about music, and you like it. So, what kind of music do you like? I don't know. I I really like world.、Um, I've recently been getting into more jazz fusion, jazz funk. Um, I don't know, like psychedelic rock, jazz rap. Honestly, I like every single genre of music. Would you say all of these genres exist in China, or is it sort of like monolithic? Like this is Chinese music. Is it very diverse? Oh yeah, China Chinese music is definitely more diverse、um, now. Like before, under the CCP strict regime, before China globalized, music was, I guess you could say, more monolithic, and there were a lot more restrictions to what could be played on the radio. But now there are so many different like genres that are thriving within China. There's a very strong like indie rock scene. There is a budding like jazz scene, and yeah, I, and of course like C-pop is very very popular. It's spreading across the world too. That I've never heard. C S E S E A C-pop. C-pop C-pop Chinese pop. Oh, Chinese pop. Okay,、yes. I get it. Yeah, yeah. So sort of K-pop. Yeah. What What would you say is the difference between K-pop and C-pop? Language, first of all,、right. but I do think there are very similar like formulas that are applied to both groups. Like I think a lot of Chinese entertainment companies have taken on the same formula as C-pop with how they promote their bands, and、um, it's working obviously. And there are a lot of like C-pop bands that have been like a total success across the world. Like Wavy, Wavy is actually like an interesting case because it was made by a K-pop company, a Korean company, but they wanted to tap into the Chinese audience. But China actually kind of outlawed K-pop in 2016 or so because they thought it was a bad influence. Because、uh, Wavy is a C-pop band technically, even though it's under a Korean company, it's allowed to like promote there, and it's actually、mm. very popular in the West as well. So another thing that happened recently is the Olympics in China, and I wonder、uh, if you kept up with that, and and if there was any、uh, controversy surrounding it that that you can talk about. Well, I, I'm not so sure about controversy, but I do know like Eileen Gu was 
talked about a lot and she's this chinese canadian skier mm-hmm. she she was like deemed a and praised for being a global citizen because you know she could like jump in from like canadian culture and speaking perfect like english to like speaking perfect chinese and and adapting like the chinese cultures and uh, being very flexible with you know with uh being in china yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you relate to that at all, being able to dip into these these two worlds? I do, yes. Um, going back to a little bit to Turning Red, where there's like this, these two identities in which she's trying to balance with. But that specifically, being having like two identities entwined together, I can relate to a lot. I came from Markham. That's where I did high school and elementary school. And there are a lot of other you know, di- diverse pe- people of color there and a lot of like Chinese people. And so it was kind of natural being able to switch between languages, being able to go from like English to Chinese in conversations, or it was natural to hear other people do the same thing with their own languages. Mm. And especially since Canada kind of prides itself on being multicultural and um, and diverse, that I that I feel particularly accepted in this different side of my identity. That's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. So let's get back to some music. Can you suggest maybe another song from your playlist that we can play? Uh, what about the Shirley Kwan film? The Shirley Kwan, Sorry, Shirley Kwan song. Let's get into that right here on Tracks from Abroad. Oh, 
Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad. Today we are talking to Vicky Kwong about China. We just listened to some of her music from the playlist. And Vicky, I want to ask you about some current news going on in China. Uh, so I've heard there's a lot of lockdowns going going around and people are being locked in their homes, etc., etc. We've seen this before, but what do you think about these lockdowns? And why is it that China does lockdowns where the West doesn't do so many? For most of Chinese history, we've adapted to a Confucius mindset and we follow certain Confucius tenets, which emphasize harmony, collectivism, and, you know, like hierarchy. So essentially, these are like the main key principles that have shaped a lot of political and important historic decisions. Um, in COVID, for instance, these tenants also play a very important role in how the Chinese, the CCP has basically regulated like lockdowns and regulated policies. Collectivism is essentially the idea that you have to sacrifice your own individual liberties for the common, the collective good. Um, so how it plays out in COVID specifically is that a lot of people must stay at home. I know for like my, my extended family, they weren't allowed to step out of their house for three months. Basically all their groceries, um, all their, the goods that they needed were delivered by special mandated people who had like, you know, had a license to be able to go outside. China went through like extensive lockdowns. They didn't, you know, ease up on restrictions like Canada did. People didn't like do, you know, it wasn't like a half-hearted lockdown. It was like a full on um, extended lockdown. And because of that, like there are virtually very little cases in China of COVID cases in China and everything's like opened up normally again. Because of like the different Western governments have handled it a lot differently because of democracy, there's like this neoliberal idea that you should, you know, prioritize the individual and like in, allow individual liberties. Yeah. Um, or even prioritize the economy, right? People are saying our business is crumbling. You got to lessen up. Exactly. Uh, well, like, I guess in China, it's different because a lot of like economy is propagated by the state. But yeah, Western governments prioritize the individual first. And so like lockdowns haven't been able to last for a substantial period enough to be like very effective. Super interesting. Well, we also have today in the call Quinn Carlisle, who is the TFA special friend, also known as the intern. And Quinn, do you have any questions that we can ask Vicky today? Uh, yeah, Vicky, I'm really curious about the differences between China's uh, film industry and the U.S. Wow, that's a great question because Jesse and I were literally talking about this um, earlier. So a lot of films in China have to go, like they go under censorship because you know there are certain rules and regulations with how things can be broadcasted. China has like a vaguely anti-American sentiment to it. And so if there's anything in Hollywood or another you know, country's national cinema, that has like anti-China or anti-government rhetoric, it is like cut out. So the entire film, if it is seen as anti-establishment, will be completely cut and like distorted and like contorted into another film essentially. Um, and also a lot of like films in that, that are created in China because they have to go through the censorship or are like state propagated, have very explicitly communist rhetoric um, or like, pro-state rhetoric and it's so explicit they don't even try to hide it um or imbue it within the film so if anyone's seen wolf warrior 2 i think you'll be able to understand um what i'm talking about 
我这儿有十八个 AK， 三十枚七九式手雷，跟武装一个加枪牌了吧？ I have another question about something that exists in both China and the U.S. but maybe different, and that's the color red. Well, so I thought that it was like like the red on the American flag was supposed to be like the blood of the soldiers that died in the revolution. But I looked it up, and it also was supposed to stand for hardiness and valor. But I mean, I thought like I thought red was a like a it was a very lucky color, and it also means like pro,、uh, stands for prosperity in China. Oh、um, yes, there there are actually a lot of like different unique symbols, I guess, in in China in Chinese culture. For example, like the the number eight stands for、um, fortune. So a lot of Chinese people will go by eight. Will use like eight eight eight, you know, to describe like getting you know prosperous and and making it rich, or four for instance, number four. It sounds like death in Chinese, like si si, and so like a lot of Chinese apartments or buildings will just not have like the number four in their um elevators, for instance. It sounds absurd, but I'm I'm pretty certain the number thirteen is left out of some housing, you know, buildings in the U.S. So we're crazy too. But are, would you say Chinese people are are superstitious? Yeah, I would say they are superstitious. We'll often like light incense, you know, and offer this as a an offering to the gods. So that's something that a lot of like Buddhist Chinese people will do.、Uh, there's also this um this holiday called Qimingjie, which is For the dead, basically to pay respect, and what they do is that、uh, all the Chinese people will burn this thing called joss paper, which is very interesting because it's it's basically paper money in different currencies. People can buy different types, or sometimes there'll be like paper doll houses or paper clothing, and we burn it to basically give to the people that are are dead and are in heaven. Yeah, I I actually got to experience like a really intense, I'd say, like Qingmingjie when I went back to China and pay respect to. My my dead grandpa, my dead grandpa, and because my mom she lives in a village called Xinlong, and that's where like you know she grew up for most of her life. We had we we did it in like the middle of a forest, and it was it was crazy because it was really bumpy. Um, uh, there were like tons of bugs and animals, and the the path that we went to it wasn't like a clear path, so we had to dodge a lot of branches and all that. And when we finally got to the place where we were gonna burn everything, we lit up this like roaring flame, and there were like embers everywhere. It was it was great. Um, was、well, sad, but like it it was a very intense moment, and I was able to like bond a lot with my family. That is some beautiful imagery. Thank you for sharing that, Vicky. So we are going to play some Canadian Chinese music now to wrap up the show. We'll have one more track coming up, but this right now is going to be Paul Chin featuring Desiree Dawson. This is Take It or Leave It, straight out of Toronto. Take it or leave it. Be mindful, my feelings are on the table now. I'm trying this new thing where I say what I'm meaning. Please don't shut me out. We can have a conversation. Maybe you go first. I know sometimes I keep you waiting. When I can find the words, I love that you are always patient. When I'm up inside my head, I wanna thank you and remind you that. You want it all, but this is all me. What I'm feeling is what I feel. Might be nervous, but it's so real. Said you want it. 
Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad. My name is Jesse McDougall. Today we are joined by Vicky Huang. We're talking about China. And we also have Quinn Carlisle, Tracks from Abroad's intern on the show. Quinn, take it away. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, so, Vicky, uh, a lot of people know that in 2008 the Olympics were in China, but not as many people might know that there was a big earthquake there. And uh, you said you were there for it. Uh, can you uh, tell us about that, please? Um, yeah, so essentially there was a devastating earthquake that happened in Chengdu, which is from the province that my mom's from, which is Sichuan. And actually, um, that time I was I was there. Um, we were in an apartment in, in my um, my aunt's apartment and we were staying there. And I remember I remember this moment very clearly. My mom was napping and I was drawing at this like little table in the corner of the room. And all of a sudden, I, I could hear the the fan like clinking rapidly and it, like the, it grew so loud. I was just so worried and I, I was staring at it and the entire ceiling suddenly started to shake. And I looked down at the table and my pencil had actually, um, uh, it 
because the table was bouncing, my pencil had drawn like jagged lines all over my paper. And I was so shocked. I was, I was really young. I was, I think I was six years old. I didn't know what was happening. I was so freaked out. I thought I was going to die. And, and so I just rushed to my mom's bed and I shook her and I was like, mom, are you going to die? Um, I, I don't want to die. Like, I love you. Like what is happening? Um, my mom, like a champ, you know, she displayed like no anxiety. You know, she took me by the hand and then we walked down and we, we went like a few kilometers away from the building because everyone thought it was going to collapse. It was a very tall apartment building. It was one of like the state housing. And yeah, so the entire community, the entire town was just like standing there in disbelief as, as the town had just shaken. And there were like a few buildings that had collapsed as well. So that night, I really didn't want to go back to the apartment and because I was worried that it would fall. And because we live in an apartment, I thought this would be like super dangerous and stuff if we went back. So what a lot of the community was doing was that they, they set up like residents in a nearby park. And so we stayed at the park overnight. Is that a metaphor for the, the Chinese uh, willingness to help one another into, you know, in a situation where there's danger, I guess everybody came together. Did you feel that? I definitely felt that. And I think that is a very good case study of mm -hmm. the Chinese collective spirit. Well, Vicky Wong, thank you so much for coming on Tracks from Abroad, sharing your music and your stories about the country of China. Thank you for having me. You just heard my interview with Vicky Wong, a UFT student of Chinese descent. She brought some amazing music to the show. Now, if you'd like to donate to CIUT, we are having a funding drive right now. If you want to donate early, 
The official drive starts May 9th. We'd love you to get in there to www.ciut.fm to support this whole show. I'm a volunteer. Most of us are volunteers at the station, but we love to have your support. And you can win some lovely electric bikes if you donate $89.50. That's the magic number to get you on that list for the grand prize drawing. All right, next week we're going to have a show here on Tracks from Abroad for the country of Niger. We have an awesome interview Frankly, that's the only way to uh, to describe it. We also have a special, special interview that I did with Emdu Mokhtar, and I will put up some video content for that as well. But for now, let's wrap up the show with one last song. This is by Yamantaka. Yamantaka, Sonic Titan. That's the title. Um, this is a group in Toronto. I think they've got eight people, and this song rocks. All right, so listen to this track, Tracks from Abroad. We'll see you next week. My name is Jesse. That's enough. Nothing else to say. Let's do it.
Stay tuned for Critics Circle coming up at 9 a.m. Next, we got Viento Sur at 10, and after that, Calling All Blues at noon. Hope you guys have a good weekend.